Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Boy, we're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest of ours, we're honored to have you with us. I want to begin my lesson this morning with a little bit of an odd history story. It's a story that I'm sure a lot of you have heard before, but still, I, I find it fascinating. I want to use it to sort of set up my thoughts today. Uh, here's a picture of Hiro Unada. Uh, Onado was a second lieutenant uh, in the Japanese army during World War II. Of course, in, on uh, September 2nd, 1945, Japan surrendered uh, during World War II, but at that time, Lieutenant you know, Onado was stationed in the Philippines. He was separated from his troops for a few days, spent a couple nights in the jungle alone. Unbeknownst to him, during the time he was separated, Japan surrendered the war. And the rest of the troops left the Philippines, leaving Onada behind. And for the next almost three decades, he stayed in the Philippine islands, living in the jungles. The last order that he had was keep fighting. So he kept fighting. Lived off bananas and coconuts. He raided some local villages around. He, he, he basically just terrorized you know, local fishermen and, and uh, the, the local farmers. It wasn't until 1974, 1974, after several failed attempts to try to get this guy to give himself up, they finally flew in his commanding officer, and they set up uh, loudspeakers facing the jungle, and his commanding officers ordered him to come in and surrender. And here's a picture of Lieutenant Oneida 29 years later, walking out of the jungle, still wearing his army uniform, by the way. He marched up to uh, President Ferdinand Marcos, handed him a sword, and, and finally in 1974, the last Japanese soldier surrendered World War II. This morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about surrender. You know, it's a concept that we as Americans, we don't like. We push back on the idea of surrender. No retreat, baby, no surrender. That's what Bruce Springsteen says, right? Yet for the Christian... The concept of surrender is paramount. Now, we've kind of been working our way this year through the book of Acts, looking at this, uh, the beginning of this movement that we are blessed to be a part of. And we sort of keep asking the same question. How did this tiny group of uneducated, under-resourced men and women with no military backing, no political leverage, no financial funding. How was this little group of people, really in just one generation, able to take the news of Jesus to the then known world? And we've talked about their sense of hope and their sense of grace, and we talked about the love that they shared with those around them. We talked about the, the power of the Holy Spirit that was working within them. But I'll tell you one other reason that this little group of ragtag Jesus followers were able to turn the world upside down. They were surrendered. They were completely surrendered. And this morning I want to talk about just what they were surrendered to, they were surrendered to, and what that surrendered life looks like. You know, a lot of times, a lot of people think that, you know, being a Christian is just a matter of professing the right beliefs. But it's not. A lot of people get confused thinking, you've heard me say this before, that just the right information will lead to transformation, but it won't. Now, information is important. Don't get me wrong. 
I don't know if you've ever noticed it or not, but several times in the book of Acts, people following Jesus were called followers of the way. Did you notice that? In fact, they call themselves that. Followers of the way. They never call themselves followers of the doctrine. Again, doctrine is important. It is really important to know why we believe what we believe. But these people call themselves followers of the way. Followers of Jesus. They wanted to look like Jesus. They wanted to act like Jesus. They wanted to serve like Jesus. They wanted to love like Jesus. They wanted to follow the way of Jesus. And they wanted other people to fall in love with Jesus so they could follow the way of Jesus as well. And these people in the first century, they realized to make that happen, they were going to have to surrender to Jesus. Now, for the past couple of weeks, we've sort of been tagging along with the Apostle Paul as he's traveling along on his missionary journeys. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 21. By the time we get to Acts chapter 21, uh, Paul is in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem. He's collected some money that he wants to take back to the church there. And we're going to pick it up in verse 3 of Acts 21. It's, it's a fairly long reading, but it's really important. Acts chapter 21, verse 3. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. Notice the pronoun there, we. Uh, Dr. Luke is traveling with Paul. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. Okay, the ship that Paul is traveling on stops at Tyre. Paul stays there a few days with followers of the way. There are some people who were speaking through the Holy Spirit, told Paul, don't go on to Jerusalem. Paul heads on to Jerusalem. Okay, red flag. What's going on here? Verse 7, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. A lot of interesting information there, but let's move on. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When the saints heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Okay, two different times, two different places, two different groups of people are telling Paul, Don't go to Jerusalem. Speaking through the Holy Spirit, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Question, is Paul being disobedient to the Spirit? Is Paul being resistant to the leading of the Spirit? Let's read on. In verse 17, Paul arrives in Jerusalem. He sort of gives a report of what he's been up to, and he kind of gets a report of what they've been up to, and there's some vows that are taking and things. But so far, nothing bad has happened in Jerusalem until you get to verse 27. Something bad is about to happen in Jerusalem. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. 
They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Men of Israel, help us! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against our people and our law in this place. Which, by the way, Paul had not done. And besides, he's brought Greeks into the temple area and defiled this holy place. Which, by the way, Paul had not done. They'd previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple area. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops. The whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he'd done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another, and since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Away with him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please, let me speak to the people. And what Paul has to say, standing on those steps, is so compelling, and it is so powerful, and we're going to talk about it in two weeks. <laughs> so be sure you're here. But for this morning, let's back up, and let's unpack a little bit of the things that happen here in chapter 21. In chapter 21, we see the Holy Spirit, not once, but twice, speaking through people, um, communicating to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Do, do not go to Jerusalem. Bad things are going to happen if you go to Jerusalem. So I'll ask the question again. Did Paul disobey the Holy Spirit? People who were legitimately concerned about Paul's well-being are warning him, don't go to Jerusalem. Did Paul suffer? Was he arrested? Was he beaten? Was he almost killed because he was disobedient to the Holy Spirit? Was he resisting the leading of the Spirit? Here's what I think. You might disagree with me, but here's what I think. I don't think Paul was ignoring divine revelation at all. I think he was just disagreeing with human interpretation. I don't think for a minute that Paul was questioning the Spirit's revelation. But I do think he was disagreeing with the interpretation of that revelation. Why do I say that? I say that because the Holy Spirit's been speaking to Paul as well. Look back at chapter 19. Afterward, Paul felt impelled by the Holy Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia, before returning to Jerusalem. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. The Holy Spirit's already told Paul, you're going to go to Jerusalem. You're going to go to Rome as well. And then chapter 20, we looked at next, last week, actually. And now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city, 
that jail and suffering lie ahead. So his friends are telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. Please, we're begging you, don't go to Jerusalem. Bad things are going to happen if you go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit has told us that something bad is going to happen to you if you go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, I know. (laughs) He told me that too. I've been listening to the guidance of the Spirit. Here's where I think the answer lies. Those good brothers and sisters, those friends of Paul, they wanted what was best for Paul. Paul, he wanted what was best for the kingdom. Paul understood the Holy Spirit's not telling me not to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit is preparing me for what's going to happen when in obedience I go to Jerusalem. So, look again at Acts chapter 21, verse 13. I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why did Paul not give in to the pleadings and the the tears of those people who cared for him? Paul didn't give in because Paul had already given up. He'd already surrendered himself to the will of God. He'd already surrendered himself to the mission of Jesus, to the lordship of Jesus. He was surrendered. When James Calvert took a boat to the Fiji Islands in the mid-1800s, his plan was to be the first missionary to bring the word of Jesus to those islands where cannibals lived. The captain of the ship that he was traveling on that was about to let him and his wife off the ship told him, Sir, if you and your wife get off this boat, those, those savages are going to kill you. To which James Calvert replied, We've already died. Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. Paul said, I've already died. I've already surrendered my life to Jesus. And by the way, when it comes to surrendering to Jesus, there's only one kind of surrender. It's unconditional surrender. And yet, we have a real problem with that. We we struggle with that mightily. I have been working in the vineyard for over 40 years. I've been a Christian for over 40 years, a long time. And I am spiritually mature enough to tell you that I've only got two problems in my life. Now, some of you have a lot of problems. I only have two. One is there are things that I don't want to do, and I do them all the time. And the other problem I have is there's things that I really want to do, and I don't do them. There's things that I see now. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to quit doing this. I, I, I'm not going to do that. And then I do that. And then there's other things that I say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do more of that. I'm going to be better at that. And then I don't do it. James Calvert was told, if you try to go to Fiji and talk about Jesus, bad things are going to happen to you. He went. Even though his friends tried to stop him, he surrendered. Paul was told, if you go to Jerusalem, bad things are going to happen to you. He went. Even though his friends tried to stop him, he surrendered. By the way, 
Jesus went to the cross. Even though his friends tried to stop him. You know, every time that Jesus talked openly about the cross to where, you know, the disciples understood what he was really saying, they tried to talk him out of it. Oh, no, no, no. Can't happen. We're not going to allow that to happen. Not on our watch. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to accomplish so much more through suffering. They couldn't wrap their minds around the idea that there there was so much more going on here than they could possibly understand. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed to the Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Take this cup from me. I, I think one of, the, one of the, the pains of Gethsemane was the fact that for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus knew what it was like to struggle with not wanting to do the will of the Father. No, his whole existence was about doing the Father's will. He came to earth to do the Father's will. I've got to be about my Father's business. Now in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's struggling with, I don't want to do the will of my Father. I know what my Father wants me to do. I don't want to do it. And all of heaven sort of holds their breath as Jesus is wrestling with this until he makes his choice. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus tells the Father, I surrender. I surrender to your will. And then the very next verse, which we don't quote nearly as often as we quote the, uh, the previous verse, but the very next verse gives us this wonderful insight to what life in the kingdom really looks like. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Jesus surrenders his will to the will of the Father. And then an angel comes and strengthens him. And you know what? I think that angel's still on duty. And I think that angel still makes house calls to people who surrender their will to the Father. Yeah, and I've already mentioned, we don't really like the word surrender. We don't really like the idea of surrendering. So we have sort of um, replaced that word uh, with committed, which is a good word, by the way. We talk about being committed a whole lot more than we talk about being surrendered. But there is a difference, and I'll tell you the difference. When you're committed to something, you're still in charge. You know, when you're committed to, I'm going to commit to uh, praying more, I'm going to commit to reading my Bible more, you can, you can commit to anything. I'm going to commit to losing weight. I'm going to, I'm going to commit to being nicer. But as soon as I want to decommit, I just stop doing it. I'm in control. But when someone pulls a gun and points it at your face, you don't argue. And you don't negotiate. And you don't say, well, I'll do this, but I won't do that. I'll only go this far. You just do as you're told, right? You surrender. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, the Lord has now set you free from the awful power of sin. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God purchased you at a high price. Don't be enslaved by the world. You are a slave of Christ. Maybe we should start talking less about being committed and start talking a little bit more about surrendering our lives to Jesus. 
Let me share with you two more stories before we close. Both true stories, by the way. In the early 1960s, Time magazine was a little bit concerned about subscriptions dropping off, and so they decided to have this big media blitz where they were going to mail out thousands of uh, letters encouraging people uh, to subscribe to Time magazine. In the past, that kind of effort was always uh, just really expensive, really time-intense, a lot of, lot of effort and a lot of work to do that, but it was the 1960s, and IBM was developing something called a computer And IBM claimed they could produce something where the letters would be written, the letters would be placed in an envelope, the envelope would be sealed, the envelope would be addressed according to a a determined uh, database, and the envelopes would be mailed, not even being touched by human hands. So time said, let's do it. Let's try it. But just like today, you know, computers get glitches. There was a poor rancher in Wyoming who received 12,634 letters from Time magazine asking him to please consider subscribing to their periodical. This poor guy hardly got any mail. He goes to the post office one day and he is just buried in letters from Time magazine. He opens up the first few. He sees they're all the same. He goes home. He sits down and he writes a $6 check for a year's subscription to time. He mailed it in, but he put a note in the envelope with it. He said, I surrender, sign me up. (laughs) That's kind of powerful persuasion that's hard to resist, isn't it? Jesus' love for you is so powerful, it is hard to resist. Why would I surrender to Jesus? Why would I do that? Why would I give up my life surrendering to Jesus? Because I've been buried in blessings. I have been covered in grace, kindness, and forgiveness. I've been overwhelmed with love. It's hard to say no to that. When you begin to understand what Jesus has done and what Jesus is offering... Surrender really becomes the only option. I surrender. Sign me up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambitions. Shoulder your cross and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. If you give up your life for me, here's a promise from Jesus, you'll find true life. Here's my last story. Back toward the turn of the last century, a guy by the name of J.W. Vanderventer left Michigan, moved to central Florida, a little town called Temple Terrace. Mr. Vanderventer was a writer of hymns published over 150 hymns in his lifetime, but he had one hymn that was really popular, that he's most famous for. It's a song that I used to sing when I was a kid growing up. We don't sing it anymore. It's a song entitled, I Surrender All. If you're old enough, some of you might remember that song, I Surrender All. The the words are a little bit um, outdated as far as the the, the verbiage, but the message is is right right on cue. Here's the first verse. I.T., you want to come up and sing this for me? Okay. Okay. Just checking. 
All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. And the chorus is, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And the proclamation that that song is making is over and over again, I surrender all. In fact, if you were to sing all five verses of that song, you would say the phrase, I surrender 30 times. You would use the word all 43 times. I counted them. I mentioned we don't sing that song anymore, and you know what? I'm not sure we should. Because I wonder how many people really could sing that song and mean what they're saying. But look again what Jesus says in Matthew 16. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find true life. It is so counterintuitive, isn't it? We think that by, by conquering, we gain victory. We think by, by getting people to, to bend our will, we gain victory. But in the kingdom, victory comes through surrender. Jesus says the way to true life is through surrendering. The way to freedom is the prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden that night. Not my will, but yours be done. There's a phrase that Alcoholics Anonymous uses. It's it's a good phrase. It's really taken out of Scripture, and I think the church ought to get it back. Because it's a good reminder. The phrase is, I can't, God can I think I'll let him. That's a great reminder. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. We're so afraid of surrendering to God. No, we're going we're to lose our free will. We're, we're going to just be kind of mindless, you know, robots, you know, doing what we're told. Nothing could be further from the truth. There is such freedom found in Surrender. That true life, that abundant life that we all want. Come on, we all want it. You know, we all know our Bible. You wouldn't be here today if you didn't know your Bible. And the life that God talks about, when you put your head on your pillow, that's the life I want. You know, that peace and that joy and that comfort, that abundant life, that real life, that's what I want. The enemy wants you to think, oh, you can get that on your own. You can achieve that. The bad news is, I can't. The good news is, God can. The only question is, will you let Him? Will you surrender your life to God? That's the question I have for you this morning. Will you surrender your life to God? Not will you be committed to God. That is not the question I'm asking, not today. I'm asking, will you surrender your life to God? I said that we don't sing that old song, I Surrender All. I actually asked the song leaders to sing that in both services today. So in just a minute, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing all to Jesus, I Surrender. The question for you is, is that your heart's desire? Jesus says that's where real life is found. That's where true life is found. Through surrender. Listen, if we can help you in any way, there'll be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing. Oh.